Well, hello with Gratitude Matt listeners. My name is Matt Moran, and I'm your host for today's show. As I manage through my own personal challenges in life, I am reminded that everyone is faced with their own individual struggles. These struggles could come in many different forms. They could come in the form of cancer, addiction, depression, death in the family, and certainly many others. With Gratitude Matt is a place that people can come to to find the courage to be grateful, regardless of how powerful the storm is. We started my blog, gratitudemat.com, in order to track the cancer recovery journey that I'm on today. My goal with the show, with Gratitude Matt, is to reach and inspire more people to practice gratitude on a more regular basis. So if today's show inspires you in some way, shape, or form, please subscribe to the show, comment on it, and share it with others. So it gives me great pleasure and joy to introduce you to today's guest, Mike Dam. Mike has recovered from decades of mental health issues. Today, he is publicly speaking on this sensitive topic. He coaches individuals and has recently released a book, Suicidal to Superhuman, Accepting Mental Illness and Its Role in Global Sanity. Mike, thank you for being on today's show. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Matt. I'm glad to meet you and glad to be here and talk about this. I've been looking forward to this conversation, Mike, and I, I give you tons of credit for opening up on this uh, very sensitive topic. As, as you think about, I, I mentioned you know decades of uh, battling mental illness, at what age, Mike, did you start to realize that something might be a bit off? You know, it's funny because... I... I think oftentimes we know things before we're able to articulate them. So I was probably, you know, I was probably 13, 14. I'd started to play guitar and I would be writing these, you know, heart-wrenching songs that, you know, weren't any good, but they, they captured how I felt. And it's not like I could articulate. I didn't know what was going on. But oftentimes, in retrospect, we realize like, wow, this has actually been affecting me for quite a while. So I, I think I was prone to, uh, you know, certain states and it was easy to just say, hey, uh, I'm moody or, you know, I have a moody uh, predisposition. But the reality was this is probably something that was from very young age. Right. So fast forward to today, you are actually publicly talking about it. You recently wrote the book. What's motivated you to get as public as you have in a topic that is so sensitive? You know, this was one thing that felt like it wasn't a choice. There's been many things I've pursued in life where it was a choice. I, you know, had goals and plans and pursued something. This book, more than probably anything else I've done, it, it wasn't any of that. I had to write this. I had to get it out. And it felt really wonderful to acknowledge that this was something that felt like it was bigger than me that I had to share and be vocal about. I needed this so much when I was younger, and I am doing my best to be able to offer that to anybody else that might need help, might need just a familiar voice or just somebody recognizing, hey, you're not in this alone. A lot of people are going through similar struggles or battles or uh, emotional encounters. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. As you think through the early on stages of dealing with this disease, 
What, what sort of challenges were you faced with as an adolescent dealing with this perhaps undiagnosed issue that you had in your life? Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't, you know, I, I did see therapists in my high school years and I'd hesitate to say it strictly was undiagnosed, but I certainly did not play along. And that's a, that's a big diagnosis. I think now it's, it's becoming much more readily given and accepted. You know, 25 years ago, it, it meant a little bit more. I, I feel like now it's much more common to, you know, have struggles and it's like, no problem, take some medication, uh, get back on with your day and your week. It seemed to be a little bit more substantial back then. And that just might be my experience with it. But it got talked about, but see, people seem to let it go at I'm moody. Uh, not to mention, I was also very uh, reclusive and I was very quiet about my feelings and experience. I had a really rich internal world. I didn't necessarily portray that. So the fact that it never caused problems and I fit in made it really easy to slip under the radar. Makes sense. I, uh, as I think through just some of the conversations I've had with fellow parents of children that are kind of of that adolescent age, 13, 14, 15, I think of a couple in particular that I know they're dealing with their own children's, call it mental issues that they currently have. And topic of conversation I've had with them is around the role that genetics plays in this disease as uh, opposed to just life experiences. Do you have any comments as it relates to your perspective on, you know, the genetic side of the equation versus just, you know, your life experiences? Sure. Yeah. I, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know how much it matters. I really love understanding. I love neuroscience. I love cutting edge uh, explorations and, and figuring out how this all works. But I also like to go to the other side of that. And if it's genetic or environmental or not, I still think we need to ultimately get the tools to work through it. And when you first brought this up and, and um, called me a recovered, I, I, I like that. But I also want to specify that for my path, more than a recovery, it was an understanding. I still have this rich emotional variability, but the way it affects me is not like it used to. And I think that's important because no matter why something affects us or how potently it affects us, I think the tools that allow us to live well and have whatever is influencing or, or becoming part of us enrich and uh, make our lives richer and give us more options and understanding and not less. And I think very commonly when, when we have a struggle, it puts us in a stress response. We end up closing off and we have less and less options available. So I, I agree that there has been a tremendous recovery, but I also want to put out there that it's also a, it's like a relationship with somebody who's maybe not the nicest person. You work through it, you uh, incorporate new tools to use so that you can move forward. 
and have a you know a healthy healthy relationship it's that that feels more accurate with my experience on how this has all worked that makes sense to me mike and i want to stay on that topic of recovery for the listeners that listened to our very first show we had on dr roy von tama mm. and mike i was excited to know that you know roy uh, you met him in acting class, if I recall. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And we can actually talk about acting as well and the role it has played. I do want to go there, but Roy talks a lot about the houses of health. He talks about the mental, the spiritual, the physical, and the emotional side of the equation. And not that you necessarily have to follow exactly those houses of health, if you will, but when you think of where you are today, call it two decades of work, if you will, to get where you are. And I totally understand where you're coming from. And you're hesitant, perhaps, to say that, you know, you're cured of this disease. But when I'm talking about recovery, are there things that you do each and every day that put the disease kind of at its appropriate place, say, away from you so that it's not disrupting the quality of your life? Are there certain things that, you know, when you get up that you need to focus on to keep it in a recovery state versus active state? Absolutely. I am a huge proponent of daily ritual and practices. And like what I mentioned earlier, that sometimes we do something before we're able to articulate it. This also is one of those things. When I was younger, dealing with that, with, with you know, these emotional states, I needed to find something that was steady within the range that I might find myself in. That was instinctively what I knew to do. I knew I might wake up really excited. I knew I might wake up really depressed or even have weeks or months of being really kind of unhinged or depressed. My natural inclination to deal with that was to find something bigger than all of that. And I think this ties into, and I did hear that podcast with Roy. He's amazing. Uh, I'm so glad to know him personally as well. And I think this would fall right in line with how he put it out there with the multiple houses. So, you know, if, if I'm not exactly sure what the houses were and how this lines up, but say my emotional house was in disarray, I could retreat to my spiritual house at least long enough to, you know, regain connection with myself and understanding and then go approach it with uh, the ability to put it back in order with kind of a whole, my whole self online, if that makes sense. And again, this comes back to the stress response. If something, you know, if your house falls down, you're going to be stressed out. But if you have another place to go and relax into it for a bit, get all your ducks in a row, then you can really move forward with the best ability to make decisions when you're all completely online out of the stress response. Mike, before we started recording today, we touched a little bit upon the wildfires that you've had to deal with in the upper Northwest. And we also sit here in pandemic. You know, I can only imagine that 
this potentially puts more stress on anybody that's dealing with a mental health issue. Fair to say? I don't know if I would group that. And I'm thinking of a comment that I read. It was the Antarctic explorers that got trapped in a massive blizzard for, I think, six or eight months. They were in a room in a bunker and there was, you know, six or eight of them. And one of the gentlemen said, the people that held it together the best were the ones that were wound the tightest. And in my experience, I almost got into a couple fields like firefighting and high stress fields because I've always noticed I did really well in high pressure situations and emergency. I remained calm and I didn't necessarily in the day-to-day -day life. I dealt with anxiety. I dealt with these other things, but when things got crazy, I was the one people came to when people were depressed, they knew I could, I could deal with it. And I think some of that goes with, I see myself as an incredibly sensitive person. So me growing up, I experienced traumas that for other people may not have been traumas, but because of my heightened sensitivity, they were for me. And I think that I got more accustomed to, and it's nothing that you want to train yourself to do, but the situation was that I got really accustomed to dealing with these high stress responses. So when something happened externally and everybody was in it together, I felt that I almost had a map of that territory. But I don't want to blanket that for everybody. This was my experience. And I think for a lot of people uh, that are going through some difficulty, yes, this completely compounds that. Mike, I spent some time looking at your website and I was impressed as I went in there and you've got some you know, meditations that you've led. You want to comment on just meditation and how that is additive to the, the work that you do each and every day to remain where you are with respect to this disease? Absolutely. I think meditation might be seen as a lot of different things. And for me, it's really just reconnecting with self, listening, listening to self. And, and I think listening to ourself can be access to so much more. I mean, I, I think the mysteries of the universe are all really embedded within our, our self. So for me, meditation really means to, to go in and understand ourselves, get to know ourselves a bit more. So the website, it, it's a work in progress, but I'm trying to put out more and more tools that have been impactful for me. And meditation is absolutely one of them. And it can come in many forms. Sometimes it's or often I get up, first thing I do getting up is just greet the day with getting in touch with my body, seeing how I feel, seeing what's going on. But there can also be a number of different ways to practice meditation. And a lot of those can be these periods of intense focus, doing something you might even just love or need to, to do. Writing this book was in many ways a meditation. It demanded hours a day where I would just slip into this state and create content. And it was a beautiful experience. It felt like a collaboration more than just writing out thoughts or writing a book. Mike, where should our listeners go uh, if they want to pick up the book Suicidal to Superhuman? Uh, it's available on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way, uh, both in Kindle as well as a paperback. And you can also go to mikedayem.com and grab it there.
Okay. And they, they can find it mikedam.com. They can find a lot more about the meditation that we just talked about as well. There's a few on there for free. Yeah. And I'm going to try to continue to put out as much as I can that can be helpful. Awesome. Mike, in the book, what should people expect as they pick it up? Sure. So the book's part memoir, part tool book. And I got a degree in psychology because I was trying to go through this self-discovery. What's going on with me? During my degree, I didn't find a lot of things that lined up with my experience of what it was like from the inside. So after, after college, I went on and I explored a lot of other things, whatever I could, different forms of meditation, religion, mythology. We brought up acting. That was actually really impactful for me in my process, learning uh, the power of imagination and playing these different roles opened up parts of me that were otherwise dormant and may not have been explored. And there was a number of other uh, um, fields and lineages I studied with as well. And I tried to put that into the book in a story through my perspective and my some of my ideas about what this means and some alternative theories to why we might be feeling this way outside of the scope of, you know, it's genetic or you have a trauma. Maybe there's some bigger things going on. And then I also offer a number of tools that you can uh, start to explore and see what might be helpful for you in your particular situation. Thanks for sharing that. You know, as I get to know you better, Mike, and I learn more about the mental health issue that we have in this world today, I feel like there's so many people that fight with this. And I think oftentimes we, we can stereotype those individuals as being weak and suffering. And as I get to know you more, you remind me of somebody that's so strong. And I would suspect you come across that way because of the work that you've done. And I compliment you so much for sharing your experiences. And I know our listeners are going to get so much from this. Mike, if I just turn, I mean, we got to show around gratitude. When you think of the word gratitude, what number one comes to mind and what, what are you most grateful for today? Matt, I, I love that word. And what comes to mind, just when you even asked that question, I smiled. I smiled not only with my face, but I felt it in my heart. And gratitude, it's actually one of the tools in the book because that has gotten me out of so many situations. Just being great, there's always something to be grateful for. And especially this generation, you know, we're dealing with things now, but my God, the, our ancestors dealt with so many things that we can't even imagine. And they made it, and we have these wonderful stories. So for me, gratitude has just been a, uh, a bridge. It's been a set of wings. It's been so much more to get my mind and my heart right, to, to set that on the right course. How long has gratitude been a part of Mike Dam, or is it something that, you know, light bulb switch went off and after you did the work that you've done that all of a sudden kind of ignited that in you? You know, that's a great question. And, and I say that because I don't know that I've actually thought about the moment that became a big part of it. I think it was a slow progression. I learned from somebody probably 15 years ago who was doing this daily 
gratitude work and was saying how hard it was. And I think that was the first that it actually got articulated. Again, this is one of those things that I think I did subconsciously or instinctively knew that there was something there. But it's really powerful to be able to not only articulate something, but understand that's exactly what you're doing and why that can be so helpful. So it's it was probably a bit later than I'm acknowledging. It was probably about 12 years ago. Eh, early 2000s, mid 2000s, I probably really started focusing and, and seeing gratitude specifically as a tool and a vehicle to to get right to get back on course. It's beautiful. Listening to you talk about the role gratitude plays in your life tonight, I'm reminded of something that in our own family, we recently started and anybody that's having dinner could be anybody could be girlfriend, wife, children, whoever, you can play the game. It's called roses and thorn. Tell me what your rose is today and tell me what your thorn is. And inevitably, uh, when you start talking about the roses, gratitude comes to mind. And it, it's something that we started doing. And our girls are now eight and nine, and we're having a lot of fun with it. I love it. And I knew a similar tradition from a different group. And it was a day of honey and a day of onions. <laughs> okay. I like honey a lot better than onions. Yeah. And the, the good thing for me, though, is I, I also like onions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mike, you've certainly persevered through a lot, and I know so many other people are going to listen to your experiences and learn from that. And, you know, what you've had to deal with for decades plus could be categorized as very devastating. So I, I want to give that the recognition that it deserves, but it could be the mental health issues that you've talked about. But uh, if not, is there anything else that maybe comes to mind that as you've been going through it in your life, that it was extremely difficult. But as time passed, you were able to look at that particular situation. And if it's a mental health issue, great. If it's not, I'd love to hear your perspective on how you might look on what you've had to deal with as perhaps a blessing today. And, and it's really allowed you to grow into who Mike is today. There's been so many. And I, I say that very um, with intent because I think the more of those you have, I believe there's a line that suddenly gets crossed where the difficulty itself becomes the blessing. If, if you have a difficulty and you overcome it and you become richer for it, at what point do you realize that a diff the next difficulty will again allow you growth and allow you more riches. And it's really what I aspire to. There's absolutely been specific ones and the whole, you know, emotional challenges and anxiety and all, all these are absolutely one. It's an ongoing one that really, and, and this ties into the looking at it as a relationship, not as, as a disease, but as a, an opportunity to get to know yourself better. And that opportunity allows for this greater um, understanding. And that's something to really be thankful for. So, yeah, any, any challenge really is this. I try to make that earlier and earlier where as soon as the challenge hits, it's like, okay, 
Let's get in that state. Let's, let's try to ignore a little bit of linear time. Understand this is going to be difficult coming up here, but know that we're going to be better off shortly. As soon as we get through this. Going to grow through it. Absolutely. Opportunities for growth is, is how any challenge should be looked at. Even if it seems like you just can't see anything good in it, there, there always is. Mike, I'm so happy that we've connected and thanks so much for being a guest on today's show. You know, mental illness is something that is not widely accepted as a topic of conversation that people can freely talk about. And I'm just a really big believer. If you keep it inside, it manifests. And hopefully this dialogue that we're having today will initiate somebody else to have a conversation with somebody that they can trust and respect. So Thanks so much for being on the show. It's, it's such an honor to get to know you better. And as our listening audience thinks about today's show and, and tries to live to their fullest, know that your mind is strong. And in order to, to reach the potential that you have inside you, I really think there's three things that we should really consider doing each and every day. And in the first is Let's start by finding something that you're grateful for, regardless of how powerful that storm is. Secondly, for those that you're with, be present to them, listen to them, pay attention to them. And third, really pay attention to how you're feeding your mind, body, and soul. Again, today's guest was Mike Dam. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. If you've enjoyed today's show, don't forget to share it with friends, comment on it. With gratitude, Matt listeners, until next time, find the courage to be grateful. Godspeed, my friends. 